I'd like to introduce now the next author, Janie Toth. Toth, I, you out and you told me. Okay. Thoughts are ever, ever flowing from her heart and mind to pen and paper or keyboard. Former column, columnist for the Capitrina? Capitrina. California's Coastal View and News, and Eloy, Arizona's Eloy Enterprise. Janie has written exclusively for, it's got a website here, BajaTeachings.org, and has had two poems and two stories published. She also wrote for the Carpentina Chamber of Commerce magazine and the Carpentina Valley Historical Society newsletter. It took first place in a poetry contest sponsored by the Carpentina Creek Association, a resident of Eloy for the last eight and a half years. Jane lives in Robson Ranch with her husband Don and a furry companion, Mijito, okay, <laughs> whose name means my little son. He's taken the place in her heart that she saved for the grandkids she never had materialized. But that doesn't make daughter Clara, or son Corey, and daughter-in-law Kimmy any less special to her. Although she loves writing, Janie still prefers acting and gets pleasure helping others as a drama and voice coach. Janie's current book in progress is The Arts, A Key to Spiritual Transformation. I've read that novella he just read from. It's good. <laughs> so, the book that I'm reading from today was published last February. And it began over 20 years ago when my dad passed. And Don and I were in Flagstaff at a KOA when we got the call. And it was we left there maybe about 11 p.m. and drove home to L.A. And all the way I was writing, I wrote a letter to my dad and I wrote him a poem. And that was the catalyst for this. Um, I realized how good it made me feel to write. And so I started writing memory stories, anecdotal stories. And I couldn't stop. And I rewrote them and I rewrote them. And then my mom passed, and I wrote more stories with her. And somebody said to me, you need to publish it. And I said, these are stories about my family. You know, only my family is going to be interested in it. Well, I was wrong. We, we stayed at a friend's house, and the husband, I had my manuscript with me to show her as we were traveling cross-country. And her husband, who'd never met me, read the book, and he said, you are going to publish this. And so I, I kind of remember that when friends started pushing me recently to put it together. There's still more stories, but I finally gave in and wrote it. And a friend of mine said, um, you will laugh out loud and shed a tear or two, and when you finish it, you'll think, and I thought my family was eccentric. <laughs> <laughs> and another friend that read it recently told me after he finished it, he said, I'm in love with your mother, and I want to grow up to be your father. Uh -huh. 
So I'll just introduce you. It's, people get a little confused when I call my mother the Red Witch and they think I'm being very unfair or mean. Um, why would you call your mother the Red Witch? So let me read to you how that name came about. My father's was easy. He used to sing to me when he was a little girl. His name is Isidore, but everybody called him Izzy, and he used to say, is that Izzy? Is he Izzy? Is he yours? Is he mine? Gee, I'm getting dizzy over Izzy all the time. My dad had all kinds of silly things that he liked to say. So there's Dizzy Izzy. The Red Witch, also known as Shirley, also known as so many other names. Mom earned herself several colorful nicknames. Since Dad was a softy, she became the disciplinarian in the family. She never hit us. Spanking wasn't her style. But when my sister and I were kids, we referred to her, behind her back, of course, as either the voice or the look. Unsure how to discipline us and not one to raise her hand, she'd use her deep, gravelly smoker's voice to threaten us. Did you hear what I said? Oh, yes, we heard. And we cowered, even though she had never once that I can remember followed through on any verbal threats. Most often, though, she didn't even need to resort to having to exercise her vocal cords. Mom had mastered the look that froze you in place. You would almost prefer to be spanked and have it over and done with. But no, the stare paralyzed you for long periods of time as her raised pencil-arched eyebrows and the invisible rays that emanated from her pupils zapped you into compliance. My paternal grandmother referred to her as Firebrin, which connotes someone with a passionate personality. But her favorite nickname was bestowed on her from someone outside the family. A natural redhead in her younger years, the sunny hue my mother sported in her 40s was strictly clairol. She'd gone blonde in her 30s after turning prematurely gray, but eventually preferred her own retro look. With a temper as fiery as her hair color was bright and a Tabasco tongue, she was dubbed the Red Witch by Carol Sutton, an employee she was training who was also the daughter of dear family friends. Mom wasn't insulted. She reveled in her reputation as one tough cookie. If we'd made her a badge with that moniker on it, she would have worn it proudly. It stoked her misguided ego that wanted to hold sway over others. The name stuck with Mom for the rest of her life, even during a few blonde relapses. After all, it was more a description of her personality than her physicality. Since her passing, I sometimes picture her arrival at the pearly gates where she unabashedly sasses old St. Peter. He tries to send her to his counterpart in the nether regions, but even Satan balks at her trying to tell him how to run and organize things down below. I imagine the kindly bearded old fellow and the dude with the horns arguing over one will ultimately be stuck with her. Whichever one it is, they're in for a pleasant surprise. She'll keep things so lively they'll find it's actually fun having the Red Witch around. And I'll just share one story about Dad. What's with them, Mom remarked to my cousin Evie. They look like they're running for their lives. 
The two women watched Dad and Evie's husband, Harry, sprint across the parking lot towards the entrance of the Princess Louise, the ship-turned-restaurant at Terminal Island in San Pedro, California. As they reached the women, they grabbed their arms without missing a step and ran them up to the ship. Between puffs and pants, Mom gasped, Are you crazy? What's the rush? But the men postponed explanations until they checked in and then found a spot in the bar to await their call to dinner. Over cappuccinos, the husbands related the scene that had played out after they dropped off the women, who wanted to avoid walking through the lot in their spike-heeled shoes. <laughs> then they had to run in them. While sitting in line, waiting to park, Dad noticed that every now and then, when a parking space opened up, another car pulled out of the queue and out of turn slipped into it. He and Harry decided they could play that game, too. Harry took the wheel while Dad went scouting. The plan was that on finding a spot, Dad would emit one of his famous two-fingered whistles and then wave his hand high in the air to indicate his location. Dad was to stand in the middle of the space and continue waving until Harry arrived. Soon the whistle pierced through the parking lot. Harry scanned the lot till he zeroed in on the wave. But when he arrived, the other car had not yet departed. It remained in the space, engine idling, while its occupants discussed where to go next. So Dad stayed with them while Harry waited in the lane. When the other vehicle finally pulled out, another car whipped around from the wrong direction into the one-way lane and made a beeline for the space which, apart from my father, was now empty. The driver yelled to Dad, get the blankety-blank out of the way. I want that space. Dad retorted, if you want this space, you'll have to run me over first. He pointed at Harry and added, I'm with this car. What do you think I've been waiting here for, to enjoy the view? Again, the fellow cursed and demanded that Dad get lost. Well, now, just who's going to make me get lost, Dad challenged. The driver's door opened. He emerged, swaggered towards his challenger. At that moment, my olive-skinned father, with his thick, wavy, coal black hair and ebony eyes, decked out in expensively tailored black slacks, white sport coat, black shirt with white silk tie and high-polished Italian leather shoes, innocently placed his hand inside his jacket to scratch an itch. The other man suddenly retreated into his vehicle, grumbling, I hate you mafia guys. Dad instantly realized the man's assumption could work to his advantage. Poker faced, he kept his hand under his sport coat and goaded him in an exaggeratedly heavy Brooklyn accent. Come on out here and say that. The fellow slowly began to drive away, growling again. I hate you mafia guys. Then from the safety of his locked vehicle, he added, you better not cross my path in there. But why, the women demanded, were we running? Because, Dad teased, the jerk wanted me not to cross his path. I was trying to find him so I could cross it. <laughs> and I'll just end with that poem that I wrote as we drove home and then read at his funeral. Don't even need to read it. My dad loved to dance, and I was his favorite dance partner. You stepped on out of your earthbound souls into celestial dancing shoes. Hear the music of the spheres? It shall now become your muse. Lindy along the Milky Way, swing among the stars. Go waltzing with eternity. 
Do the twist between Venus and Mars. The heavens are the dance hall for your spirit. It's finally free. Someday I'm going to join you, Dad, so save a cha-cha just for me.